Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, Ebenezer family and friends. Welcome to our service today. We're glad that you've joined us. Don't forget to submit your Ebenezer memories on our journey wall. The succession team has set aside three nights, April 5th, 6th, and 7th, to process what these memories tell us about our church and community. We'd love to hear your insights. And so to sign up for that, you can go to ebenezerbaptist.ca. Thank you very much. Please be seated. And and for those that clap today, thank you for clapping. That was awesome, okay? And uh, we should just put that into practice so that we can also clap and when we get excited about what God has done for us. Uh, the Rush kids, if you want to take off right now, you can go to your Rush uh, classes. That's age four to grade four. And then I would like to lead us in prayer this morning. Uh, just before I do that, you might be wondering how our vote went last week with our new uh, youth pastors and uh, from our end it went very well we had i think it was 96 percent of the people that said uh said yes to them and so uh, the others were mainly abstainers but that was the people that said yes and then uh now it's in their court and i've heard back from one of them and that was a positive reply, and the other person had a few other questions to, to ask us. And so until I know both yeses, I'm not going to uh, announce that. But hopefully you can continue to pray, and that this will be a, a good thing for us. Uh, so let's, let's bow our heads today, and let's just uh, uh, let's pray together. So I know that as we do that, that you, each one of us, comes to here at God's, at God's throne room with, with our own needs, and uh, we all need to be praying to God. And so as we do that, just think of the people around you that you can be praying for and pray along with me. So let's pray. So Lord, uh, today as we come before your throne of grace, uh, hear our prayers, not according to the poverty of our asking, but according to the richness of your grace. By your power and grace, uh, help us to desire to obey your word in all things and in all ways. For it is your grace revealed in Jesus that brings salvation to all people. And God, we know that your grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this culture while we wait patiently for your return. Lord, your word is truth. Teach us your decrees. Give us understanding so we can obey your instructions and put them into practice with all our hearts. Help us to follow your ways, for that is where our happiness is really found. Give us an eagerness for your laws, rather than a love for the things of this world. And turn our eyes away from worthless things, and give us life through your word. Reassure us of of your promises that are made to those who fear you, and renew our life with your goodness. Father, there are so many things that we want to pray for, many needs amongst us. I think of a few. I think of Larry Ingram, who, um, as Pastor Chad's dad, who is in the hospital right now and is struggling a bit. And Father, I pray that your grace would be upon him and Gwen. Pray for Ruby Rice, who just went to the hospital yesterday, and that you would continue to be with her. 
Father, for others that are hurting amongst us, whether that is physically or emotionally or financially, God, you know the needs. And I pray that you would just speak to us. And then finally, God, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, that you will empower all of us with inner strength through your spirit so that Christ will make um, his home in our hearts as we trust in him. And help us to have roots that grow down deep into your love so that you can keep us strong. So God, as we now listen to Pastor West, that you would anoint him, that you would use him this morning, that you would just speak through him, and that you would prepare our hearts to, to, to receive. So give us ears to listen and give us soft hearts that we want, would want to obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Wes, and I have the privilege of serving on the staff team here. I have uh, been on the staff team for a little over a year now in a, uh, a part-time capacity, and um, starting in May, uh, I'm very pleased and humbled and grateful to be able to begin a uh, full-time position here at the church. I'll be stepping away from my business at the other end of uh, April, and I'm very much looking forward to being on staff full-time here, and so very honored and grateful for that. Um, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to preach as well, and uh, I also want to uh, thank Pastor Layton for giving me the hardest text in the entire book. No, I'm just joking. Um, it is a hard text, but no, it's just the way that it worked out. But anyway, we are continuing in our series on the book of Second Peter. And like Pastor Layton shared with us last week, um, this is the reason why we preach and teach through books of the Bible. It's four passages like this. It's difficult and the topics and the ideas that some of these passages present are not things that we readily want to talk about, but they are nonetheless important and they are nonetheless the Word of God to us. And so, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to please open with me to the book of Second Peter. We're going to be finishing off Second Peter chapter 2 today. And like last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Layton began looking at the beginning of Second uh, Peter 2. And what he outlined for us in that passage is that Peter begins to introduce this idea of false teaching in the churches that he was providing leadership to. And he provides a great amount of warning and calling the people to faithfulness in Jesus. And what Pastor Layton unpacked for us last week was this, this warning, but as well as this encouragement, this warning and reminder that God knows how to judge. God knows how to judge those who reject his truth, who reject his ways. God knows how to judge and deal in those situations. But he reminded us as well that God actually knows how to rescue those who call upon him. He knows how to rescue those who call upon his mercy. And so that's where we left off in our passage last week, and we're going to continue on in verse 10. But before we get into Second uh, Peter, I actually want to start by looking at what Jesus taught us about false teachers. 
Jesus speaks about false teachers in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn quickly to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at that first. The the passages will be up on the screen behind me, but you can do that as well. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. This is what Jesus says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, Jesus clearly says here within this passage that there are going to come false teachers who claim to speak with Jesus' authority, who claim to speak in the name of Jesus, but clearly are not coming from Jesus. Jesus says that they are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They do not speak on his behalf. They only claim to. But what Jesus says is he says, you will be able to recognize them by their fruit. Now, what I want to ask a question, what is the fruit that Jesus says we will be able to recognize? And if we continue in the passage where Jesus is teaching, I think we get a clearer understanding. Looking at verse 21 in chapter 7, this is the Lord Jesus, and he just continues on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's something we need to pay close attention to here. False teachers have fruit in their ministry. False teachers have fruit, or at least the appearance of what seems to be fruit happening in their ministry, right? They can prophesy. They can cast out demons. They can do all kinds of sorts of things that we might associate with the truth and the teaching of Jesus. But Jesus looks at these teachers and he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. See, these false teachers, they have the fruit of ministry happening in their lives. They're successful. There's crowds. There's people who are flocking to them. But Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. They don't have the fruit of actually knowing God. They don't have the fruit of character that comes when you actually begin a relationship with Jesus in repentance and trust and continue in that relationship, growing in holiness and godliness. And this is the fruit that Jesus wants us to pay attention to. This is, don't get caught up in the quote-unquote ministry success. He says, look at the fruit. The fruit that he's talking about is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, on and on and on, the Apostle Paul says. 
The fruit of knowing Jesus also results in repentance. The book of Matthew, John the Baptist, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. One of the fruits that we need to see in the life of a true disciple is the fruit of repentance. That means a continual, ongoing repentance, not just a a one-time thing that you did at camp, but an ongoing repentance marked by a love and a desire and a longing to know Christ more. And Jesus says these false teachers will come, but you'll be able to see past them because you'll be able to see the fruit in their lives, not necessarily the fruit of their ministry. This is something we have to pay attention to. These false teachers, they have fruit. It looks successful on the outside, but inwardly there is not the fruit of character. There's not the fruit of repentance. There's not the fruit of truly knowing and abiding in Jesus. And this is where Peter picks up within our text in 2 Peter. He wants to expose, he wants to show the fruit of what's really motivating these false teachers. He wants to really help us see what's really going on with them. And so, if you have your Bible, please, we're going to jump into our passage now in 2 Peter, beginning at verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. Peter says this, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish." They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. The first area Peter says these false teachers are motivated by is pride. The first area they're motivated by, the fruit that is happening in their lives, is the fruit of pride. Peter says these false teachers are bold. They are arrogant. They, are, they despise authority. He says that they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, some commentators have different thoughts on what Peter is exactly meaning here. Some suggest that Peter is referring to those fallen evil angels that that went with Satan in in their rebellion against God. Other commentators suggest that maybe the false teachers in Peter's day, they were promoting a kind of materialism, right? A sort of like, you still believe in angels? Like... What are, you, what are you guys talking about? Nobody believes in that kind of stuff anymore. That's kid stuff. What are you, right? Some of the false teachers of that time, they were, they were actually saying, like, Jesus isn't going to return. What's the point of believing in all of that supernatural stuff? So whether this was what was being taught or not, the point is that these false teachers, they are motivated clearly by pride. They are bold and arrogant. They have no fear of God. They have no reverence for the holiness or the majesty of God. How many times in the scriptures have you seen a a faithful man or a faithful woman of God and they have an encounter with an angelic being or they they see a glimpse of God? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but how many times in the scriptures they have this encounter with the holiness of God and they basically are like, oh my gosh, 
I'm going to die. <laughs> okay, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but how many times throughout the scriptures has that encounter happened? They see the holiness of God, they see the majesty of God, and they fall on their face and they go, we're going to die. Right? There's just this humility, this fear of God that comes upon the faithfulness of his people when they see his holiness, when they see his glory. And these false teachers have none of that. They're bold. They're arrogant. They don't, they, 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 they don't pay attention. There's no fear of God in them, none whatsoever. They're irreverent completely. But Peter goes on to expose the fruit that's happening in their lives. He goes on in verses 13 and 14 and says this, Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning, and they seduce the unstable. The second area Peter says these false teachers are motivated by is lust. These false teachers are motivated by pride and by lust. Now, one of the recorded heresies that we see in the New Testament is that these false teachers were taking the teachings of Paul, the teachings of the grace of God, and they were twisting them in such a way as to say, well, you're not under the law anymore, right? You're not under the law. You're under grace. So therefore, why don't you just live however you want? This is what was happening in the New Testament times. The book of Jude puts it like this in Jude verse 4. He says, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. This is what was happening in the New Testament context. Paul and the apostles, they are preaching a message of grace, and the false teachers are taking this message of grace, and they're going like, oh, all right, <laughs> we're under grace, sweet, we're, we're no longer under the law, eat, drink, and be merry, do whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, live it up, we're under grace, people. <laughs> And they're taking the grace of God and they're perverting it. This is why the New Testament again and again is so clear on its teaching around sexual immorality because this is what was happening in their day. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says this in verse, starting at verse 3, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should be wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. These false teachers are not calling for the people of God to live in holiness and to live in righteousness. They are taking the grace of God and perverting it and saying, grace is a blank check. Go live however you want. It's fine. And it's not the truth. They are encouraging this, this lifestyle of immorality, but this is not 
the fruit of the Spirit. They're motivated by lust. And the last area that Peter says these false teachers are motivated by is greed. Is greed. He continues on in verse 14 through 16. Peter says this, They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Bezir, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Peter says these false teachers are experts in greed. In greed. That verse or that, uh, that verb there in the Greek where he says they're experts in this, it's actually an athletic term. Basically, Peter is saying these guys are so good at ripping you off, it's like they're trained athletes. They have become so good at their craft, they're trained professionals at it. They're experts in greed. And Peter points to the story of Balaam in the Old Testament. Balaam was a prophet during the time of Israel's wandering in the wilderness, and it's recorded in the book of Numbers 22 through 24. Balak, who was the prince of Moab at the time, he summons Balaam. He sees the Israelite people coming, and he summons Balaam, and he says, Balaam, these people are going to come into this land, and they're going to wipe us out. So I need you to put a curse on them. And he pays Balaam to put a curse on these people. And Balaam accepts his money, and he says, sure, I'll I'll go and do that. And what happens is, is God tries to warn Balaam several times, don't do this, don't go through with this. Fine. And Balaam just refuses to relent. He continues on till finally God puts speech in the mouth of a donkey and he rebukes the prophet. He rebukes Balaam through the mouth of a donkey. That's how motivated this man was by his greed and by his desire to get rich. He had, God had to use the mouth of a donkey to speak to him. Balaam is a prophet for hire. He doesn't want to speak what God actually commands. He'll simply prophesy whatever a person wants for a price. And that's what he's doing. So Peter does not hold back in exposing the fruit of what's happening in these false teachers' lives, what's motivating them. He says they're filled with arrogance and pride, they're filled with lust and sensuality, and they're motivated by greed. And what's interesting is that these three motivations are actually very similar to what the Apostle John wrote in the book of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, they say this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Right? The lust of the flesh here is akin to that sensuality or the lust, that desire for sexual gratification. The lust of the eyes is this idea of greed. I see stuff and I want it, so I'm going to go get it no matter what. And then the pride of life is akin to the boastful pride or arrogance. These false teachers, they claim to speak on the authority of Christ, but their value system is based completely in the system of the world. They claim to speak on God's authority. They claim to speak with his power, his designation, but their value system is completely based on the world. 
Their teaching appears good on the surface, but it's always going to leave people empty and hollow and robbed because it actually lacks the true power of God. It's not based upon the kingdom of God and the kingdom of righteousness. It's based upon the systems and the values of the world. And this is exactly what Peter says next about their teaching in verse 17. It goes on. Verse 17, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Peter says these false teachers are springs without water. Okay, they are like, they're like a mirage out in the desert. If you can imagine yourself being out in the desert and being so tired and thirsty and your mind begins playing tricks on you when you look out on the horizon and you go, oh my gosh, there's an oasis over there. And you begin to move in that direction only to realize that it was a trick. It was a mirage. It wasn't ever really there. He's, Peter says that's what these false teachers are like. They have the appearance of truth, but in the end, it just leaves you dry. And these are not at all like the words of Jesus. Jesus offers us true water. He offers us water that nourishes us and satisfies us. John chapter 4, verse 14, he says this to the woman at the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Or he says this in John chapter 7, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus' words, they offer us life. They offer us a true sense of satisfaction because they're built upon the truth. They're built upon reality. They're built upon the, the truth of God's character and nature. And that's why they truly satisfy. That's why it's fresh water that actually satisfies. But the false teaching never does that because it only has the appearance of truth on the surface. It doesn't have truth in its core. Now, we've looked a lot at the context that Peter was dealing with in his day but I want to step back for a moment, and in light of this teaching, think about our context here today. Pastor Layton mentioned last week that there are, and there are lots of different heresies, there's lots of different false teachings, but there, there are two prominent ones that we see quite, um, quite prominent in our world today. And what we want to speak on is both the prosperity gospel that we see happening in our churches today and progressive Christianity. Now, as I was preparing my message uh, and just kind of going through it again last night, I was doing some work on it, and I, I was prepared to speak on both of these topics, and I was getting to it, and I thought, oh man, uh, 
I'm not going to have time to unpack both of these things. It's going to be 10.30, and I'm still going to be prattling on here. So just for, for your sake, we're, we're just going to look at one this morning, and we're going to look at the prosperity gospel, and we'll look at progressive Christianity at another date and time. But this morning, I want to touch on the prosperity gospel. The prosperity message is at its center a message that basically, if you follow God, if you decide you're going to trust God and follow his ways, then your life will be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Prosperity theology uses a lot of similar language that traditional Christian teaching might use. It says things like, Jesus died for your sins. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you and invite him to come into your life and save you. That, the, the, a lot of these things are what, things we might use in our teaching as well. But after this, prosperity teaching begins to say that Jesus' death doesn't just atone for our sins and reconcile us to God. They teach us that Jesus' death brought us our healing. It bought us blessings that we can and should be able to access here and now. There is an idea within this movement that, oh yes, we have treasure in heaven, Oh, yes, we have treasure stored up for us in heaven. Yes and amen. But we should be able to cash in on it now. We should be able to access that here and now. You don't have to wait for heaven. You can just begin to cash in on that here and now. It becomes a Jesus plus gospel. Okay, a Jesus plus gospel. It becomes about Jesus plus healing. Jesus plus wealth, Jesus plus the North American dream, Jesus plus whatever you want, fill in the blank. That's what ends up happening with prosperity teaching. Now here's, again, this is what makes it so deceptive. They don't blatantly deny the authority or the inspiration of Scripture. This is really important and key. Prosperity teachers do not deny the authority or the inspiration of Scripture. Rather, they take the authority of Scripture and they twist it. They twist it just enough so that it suits their own ends and their goals. This is what makes it so horrible is that they take your trust in the Bible They take your trust in the authority of the scriptures and they twist it and they manipulate it so that you end up trusting not in God, but you end up trusting in them. This is what prosperity teaching does. It takes your trust in the scriptures and it manipulates it so that they they posture themselves, they're the anointed teacher. They're the anointed leader. I have the direct revelation from God, so you need to listen to me. You need to support my ministries. You need to make sure that you're buying all my teaching and listening to all my stuff. This is what prosperity teaching does. And it says, if you listen to me, if you listen to our stuff, you listen to our teaching, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. And it's manipulative, and it's horrible. I want to look at a couple of examples by the ways in which they might twist the scriptures for us. I want to look specifically first at health. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. 
Isaiah 53, 5, it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Prosperity teachers will take a passage like this and they say, hey, see, clear as day. Jesus died for your sins and he died for your healing. So if you're not experiencing healing in your body, you need to name it and claim it and stand on faith in Jesus' name because he died for your healing. Do you see what's happening? They'll take a passage of scripture and they will twist it just enough. Now, to be fair, I believe in miraculous healing, 100%. I pray for people to be healed almost every single day. I believe in the power of healing for today, 100%. But do, and, and I believe as well that when Jesus died, he did die for our healing. He died to heal our broken relationship to God. He died to restore our relationship back to the Father. And in the end, when he returns and he makes all things new, when, when heaven and earth are reunited once again, he will make all things right and there will be no more death and sorrow and tears. I believe that to the core of my being. But does this verse teach that as Christians we should expect that here and now? That if we are a follower of Christ, that we'll never get sick? that we'll never experience disease, or if we do get sick and we do get a disease, that we should just name it and claim it, and boom, we're gonna be healed? That doesn't line up with reality, nor does it line up with what the scriptures fully teach. Just one example here in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, verses 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Did you catch that? What does the Apostle Paul say? We are going to share in the glory of God if you are a son or a daughter of God. Yes and amen. But what else does he say? You're also going to share in his sufferings. That's just baked in. You will share in the glory of God and you will share in his sufferings and that's just a part of life. Prosperity teaching says, no, we're not gonna suffer. God wants you to be happy, healthy, and blessed. But this isn't what the scriptures fully teach. Or if we go on in verse 22 and 23, he says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What does Paul say about our experience as Spirit-filled believers? He says that you will groan you will groan inwardly as you await for your adoption, the redemption of your bodies. As Christians, we are going to suffer. We are going to experience hard things. We are going to experience disease just like everybody else. And what the Apostle Paul says is he says, That's, there's an inward groaning that you're going to feel, and that groaning is a longing. You're longing for the, your resurrected body. Sorry, I just saw the Vanese and I thought about my friend Ryan, who I miss. And I think about 
how, how in his cancer, he, he, there is a groaning that you feel. There is a groaning that you experience. And the Apostle Paul says, you groan for that, and the Spirit of God is a part of that. As you long for your redemption, as you long for that body to be made well again. And believe me, it will. It will be made well again. But we cannot live with this expectation that it's always going to happen here and now. That's not the truth of the gospel. It's not the truth of the gospel. Or let's look at another example here. Prosperity teachers will often look at healing and they'll twist the scriptures. Let's look at another example as we think about this in regards to wealth. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Prosperity teachers will often use verse 6 a lot. They'll use verse 6 and they say, hey, if you want God to bless you, if you want God to be good to you in your life, then you need to give unto him. You need to give unto the Lord if you want God to bless you. <laughs> Forgetting that God owns everything. <laughs> If you give a little, God will bless you a little bit. But if you give a lot, God will bless you a lot. They conveniently leave out verse 7, the very next verse, which says that each person should decide what they're going to give in their, and make it up in their heart and not give under compulsion. <laughs> For God loves a cheerful giver. We should not give out of a sense of manipulation, like I'm going to give so that I can get from God. That's not the heart of giving. Do you see what this does? It makes the gospel about what I can get from God, what I can get from God, not about receiving what he's already done for me in Christ. It makes Jesus a treasure map. Do you see what this does? It makes Jesus a treasure map rather than the treasure himself. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is what we're after. We want to know Jesus. We want to experience the fullness of who he is. He's not the treasure map to get what I want. He's what I want. That's the gospel. He's the pearl of great price. He's worth everything. He, he's worth selling everything you have to go buy that field and, and claim it for yourself. That's the gospel. Jesus is the prize, not stuff. And the Apostle Paul, he has some, some scathing words for teachers who want to take Jesus' name and attach it to a pursuit of greed. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, If anyone teaches otherwise, this is starting at verse 3, 1 Timothy 6, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, and watch this, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. False teachers think that they, their teaching is a means to financial gain. It's not. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, into a trap, into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. The prosperity gospel looks on the surface like it's Christian, but at its core it is false. And it leads people into ruin and destruction. And the Apostle Paul pulls no punches when he talks about what are the fate of those who teach false teaching. He continues on in our passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, at verse 20. If they had escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Two things need to be said on this passage in closing. First, because these false teachers were familiar with the ways and the teachings of Christ, and they clearly denied it or twisted it to suit their own ends, the more severe their judgment will be. He says of them, it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness. The more truth you understand about something, the greater the level the accountability. That's the way it works. In the same way that a doctor will prescribe you a 10-day cycle of antibiotics and says, hey, don't quit on day five, otherwise it might flare up worse than before. In the same way it works in the spirit. To the degree at which you understand the truth, that, to that degree you are accountable to it. And these false teachers, knowing the way of truth and outwardly turning and rejecting it, God is not, he's not going to just let that go. He knows how to judge. Now, it's hard in our, in our current context to talk about judgment like this. It's uncomfortable. I get it. But Tim Keller, a, a well-known author and speaker, says this, and I found this very helpful when we think about judgment. He says this, Many people in the modern West are not troubled by God's mercy, because they don't accept the idea of a God who judges. They want a God of love, but a God who does not get angry when evil destroys the creation he loves is ultimately not loving God at all. If you love someone, you must and will get angry if something threatens to destroy him or her. As some have pointed out, you have to have had a pretty comfortable life without a significant experience of oppression or injustice to not want a God who punishes sin. God is just. He is wholly just. And he will judge those who have wandered away. And he will judge those who in their wandering lead others away too. 
He is just, and he will do that. We can, we can take courage. We can take comfort in that reality. Secondly, Peter is not saying that those who are truly saved can lose their salvation. Look at the proverb he quotes. A dog returns to its vomit, and a pig returns to the mud. He uses this to make a point. Despite the fact that these animals, they had been washed, they had been cleaned, they returned to their old nature. He's making a point, and he's saying, these false teachers, though for a time it appeared like they were clean, they went back to their old nature. They went back to their sin. Let's circle back to our text that we looked at at first. What does Jesus say about these false teachers? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying that when you truly have repented, when you're truly trusting in Christ, there is an inward transformation that happens, an inward change. And those who are truly God's God will never lose. And so I want to invite the worship team, if they would be willing to come on stage we're going to lead in a closing song, and then we're going to take communion. I want to close by reminding us who Peter is writing to in this letter. Peter is writing this letter to the church, and he says this in 2 Peter 1, verse 1. He says this, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. If you have turned from your sin and have trusted in Jesus Christ, you stand in the righteousness of God. You stand before God washed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You are holy and blameless in his sight. Not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's a gift to be received. And if you have trusted in Christ, then you have received a faith that of precious as that of the Apostle Peter and countless saints throughout the centuries who have resisted false teaching and clung to the good news of Jesus. Let me read the benediction over you from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.